Some physicians get uneasy incorporating spirituality or faith into their medical practices. Our guest today says it's not only okay, but she's making sure medical schools teach courses in it. You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Christina Puhalski, who is both the director of the George Washington Institute for Spirituality and Health and an associate professor of medicine and health sciences at George Washington University. Welcome, Christina. Hello. It's good to be here today. Take a minute and tell us about yourself, first of all. How did you get involved with teaching a medical school course in spirituality? I actually have an interesting background. I, I did some research before I went to medical school, and while I was at the National Institutes for Health, I had the opportunity to talk with a lot of the patients that were there, and specifically patients that have very serious chronic illnesses, mostly rheumatologic illnesses. And what I heard were stories of profound journeys of people dealing with a lot of suffering who utilized their spiritual resources to help them cope. And so when I went to medical school, I was struck by the absence of any courses having to do with suffering, spirituality, wholeness, wellness, and developed an elective, which then became required. We required it in, at George Washington University, and then became director of a, an award program, an education program, where we gave grants competitively to medical schools for developing curricula in spirituality and health. And so that's really been my passion, in addition to my clinical work and my teaching, to develop programs on a national level, and now we're working internationally, too, in educating physicians on the important role of spirituality in the care of patients. Okay. Now, you're also an associate professor of medical and health sciences. Do you have a practice outside of this work with the spirituality courses? Well, no, my practice is within the university, so I'm, I'm on staff at the university as a faculty member and have a clinical practice there, and my patients are of all ages. I'm an internist, but I do predominantly geriatrics, and, and I'm also board certified in palliative care, so I do quite a bit of palliative care as well. Okay, so let's talk about this term spirituality. It gets bandied about a lot, and people don't often understand exactly what you're referring to. Are you talking about religion or talking about those basic questions, who am I and what am I doing here? And that's a very common question and sometimes the stumbling block actually for physicians and other healthcare professionals integrating spirituality into their practices. And so some of my work has been done with the Association of American Medical Colleges and specifically Brownell Anderson, who's a senior vice president at AAMC for medical education. And what we did is we convened a consensus conference of medical educators, physicians, chaplains, and others, ethicists, to look at how we might teach this important topic. And they reviewed some of the things that I was doing in some of the other programs. And our definition was really the stumbling block, if you will. It took much longer than we had anticipated because it is tough to define. Spirituality is very, very personal. And on a sort of philosophical note, it's, as Viktor Frankl says, the essence of what makes us human beings. So how does that get translated into a practical way that can then be applied in education as well as practice? We define spirituality as something that it relates to health in people, that it's found in all cultures and societies, that it can be understood as a way that people find ultimate meaning in their lives. And that search for ultimate meaning can be expressed in religious terms for some people. Maybe their meaning comes from their religion, or it can be broader than that, which it can be a sense of the sacred, divine, God, higher power, however people see that within or without a religious context. It can be family, nature, humanism, rationalism, and the arts. And so there's many ways that people come to find meaning and purpose in their lives. And what's important about that definition is that it's not just our spirituality of our patients, but it's our own as well. How do we, as doctors, 
understand what gives us meaning in our life and how does that connect to our professional call to service. So you can be an atheist and be a pretty spiritual person by your definition, if I'm hearing it correct. That's right. What we all have in common is the need to find meaning and purpose in our lives. And in the context of illness, many times illness, tragedy, loss can actually cause us to question that meaning and purpose. It's not uncommon for people who have a serious illness or a loss in their family or their loved ones to all of a sudden start questioning whether this is the kind of job they want to do anymore, or the, the relationships they want to be in, or do they want to even live in where they're living? You know, And those types of questions of what is my purpose can be triggered by illness and stress, which is why I think it's very critical that we as physicians address that in the healthcare setting. In fact, I would go so far as to say that we have a moral obligation to know how to address and be attentive to patients' spiritual issues. Well, it sounds to me like you're treating patients and not illnesses, which is what I like to hear. So tell me, what is the George Washington Institute of Spirituality and Health? The George Washington Institute for Spirituality and Health, GWISH, as is our acronym, was founded in, in 2001 based on work I'd been doing since the early 90s. We were funded by initially by the John Templeton Foundation and have since set funding for many other organizations, including Arthur Vining Davis and Fetzer and private donors and NIH and other foundations as well. Our work is essentially to create more compassionate systems of care. That's our mission. And we are doing that through the development of education programs for physicians. And now we're working with nurses as well and physical therapists and pharmacists and other healthcare professionals. And we also do research and we have clinical programs. So one of our clinical initiatives is a spiritual history tool that I developed with several of my colleagues, including Dan Macy, Joan Tino, and Dale Matthews, three other primary care physicians, called FICA. And it's a spiritual history tool that is meant to be integrated in the social history section of the history that physicians take with their patients. And a very easy-to-use brief tool takes just a couple minutes, and it's really meant to invite patients to share about spiritual beliefs, however they understand that, if they so choose. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Christina Puhalski of the George Washington Institute for Spirituality and Health, and we're talking about how medical schools are incorporating the teaching of spirituality into their curricula. You mentioned patient-centered care. That's so critical now to our medical school education. And one of our theses, if you will, is that if you're going to provide patient-centered care, you really need to know who your patient is. And you need to create an environment of trust where patients can share whatever concerns they have. So if they're being abused by a significant other, they would feel comfortable in sharing that with you, where if they're using drugs or if they're frightened or anxious, all of those things, we want to create an environment where patients can share that. And ultimately, that kind of information is going to lead to better diagnoses because we'll have a bigger picture of who that person is. And so is the same with spirituality. We need to create an environment of trust where patients can choose to share about their spirituality if they want to. Now, how do we do that? Most patients will not think to share about their spiritual beliefs with their physicians. Many probably won't even think about sharing issues around domestic violence, sexuality, and other things that we ask in the history. So how one way of creating an environment of trust, besides being compassionate and caring, is to ask an opening question. And that's why I think it's so important to do a spiritual history. If you ask a question, do you have spiritual beliefs that might impact your care? Or do you have spiritual beliefs that help you cope with stress? Or do you have spiritual beliefs that might help you cope with what you're going through right now? You signal to the patient that you as a physician are interested in that. You're interested in that dimension. And so 
If the patient wants to share that, they can. I notice that those are open-ended questions, and I love that. We, we stress that on a lot of shows about asking these type of questions. So it gives the person you're asking the, the space to say whatever they want. So you're quoted as saying that your goal is to help medical students understand how they can become more compassionate. I teach medical students, I tell them the same thing that you do. Basically, I say it's your job to unconditionally love your patients so that they can feel comfortable to talk about anything they want. Do you think that the courses can do that really effectively in the face of a medical education that seems to beat compassion out of young doctors? <laughs> That's right. We kind of allow our students to become callous and hardened. We eat our own young, don't we? We do. And, you know, I really think that the courses do that. We are Certainly it's our aim. And just as in anything else with, with innovations in medical education, it's going to take time for it to be fully ensconced, although at this point we have over 100 medical schools that at least have topics related to spirituality. And there's so many other initiatives, too, that are being done now, as you mentioned, to create more compassionate physicians. I know that medical students come in and for the most part are very altruistic. And one of the Association of American Medical Colleges reports called the Medical School Objective Report stresses to faculty that that the number one attribute they want us to teach is altruism. And they go on to say that we should be compassionate with all our patients. We should seek to understand our patient's story in the context of their values and beliefs. And so Again, our spirituality courses encourage that in in the sense that we're learning to communicate with our patients about their belief systems. So our students come in very altruistic. And I think over the next couple of years, it's well documented by the third year, they start getting a little hardened because there's a hidden message that, quote unquote, touchy-feely aspects of the curriculum are not as important as trying to get the very basic facts. And one can certainly understand that to a degree because in a system that's very time-crunched, one certainly has to do triage and do what's important. And what I would say, and it sounds like you would say the same thing, is that we need to do that in the context of being compassionate. We need to have that intent as we walk into the patient's room, be it in the ER or in in the room in the office or in the hospital setting, that you say to yourself, I am going to be fully attentive to my patient for whatever time I have. I'm going to listen. I'm going to really have open-ended questions. I'm going to find out as much as I can and not try to have some preconceived notions. Because the minute we have that model of, though this looks like a newly diagnosed diabetic, therefore I have to ask about their diet, their family history, check a lab test and start them on medication, we're going to be missing out on potentially other diagnoses that are, that are happening or on how somebody is going to be able to handle their diabetes. So our courses really teach that, that kind of open, openness and willingness to be completely attentive and to put the patient's needs above our own. That's altruism. Well, let me ask you a question. You threw out a word innovation a while ago. This is innovative care, innovative teaching. In my opinion, it's not innovation at all. This is really who we used to be as doctors. Where did we lose it? Where did we go wrong? Because early doctors, it was all about care and compassion. You know, and I was just having a conversation with some deans from a nursing school. It's not just us, but our colleagues as well. I think we, with the advent of science, you know, when you're talking about we used to have this, we used to have this, I think, many years ago, where we didn't have a whole lot of medications and technology to be able to help our patients, and the system wasn't so stressed, and our predecessors were allowed to see patients for an hour or two. I mean, I still do home house calls periodically right now, and people went to the person's home. They got to see who they were right there, and yes, absolutely, you're right. It was very integrated. In fact, in this country, Hospitals were started by religious orders on those principles of altruism and compassion. But as science developed 
and thankfully so, because we get cures, treatments, people live longer, even better quality of life. The curriculum in both medical schools as well as nursing schools became more scientific. And what, when you add things to a curriculum, some things have to go. And unfortunately, what went were sort of what was perceived of as the softer side of medicine, which I prefer to call the art of medicine. And we know medicine is both an art and a science. So we're trying to integrate that again with courses such as the ones I've developed in spirituality, but also literature and humanities courses. But I think we still have a battle because the healthcare system is not really reflecting what we're teaching. Well, thanks. Christina, thank you for being our guest today. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library, register on the website, and enter promo code RADIO for six months of free podcasts. And we thank you for listening.